Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina of Sports Illustrated. Michael, I wanted to double back to a little incident that happened last week, uh, last Thursday night, actually, between Shaquille O'Neal of TNT and Donovan Mitchell of the Utah Jazz. Now, we had briefly mentioned the Jazz on our podcast from last week, and then all of a sudden, probably the biggest story that they're going to get all year of beef between a Hall of Famer and a rising star guard winds up falling right in our lap. It was an interesting uh, situation with multiple layers. Uh, We got an email from Andre, and he wants to know, could you and Michael touch on this on the next podcast, please? The hate from Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley, and other former players is seriously damaging the league. Can you expand about how none of these shows actually talk about tactics and player performance in detail and compare it to the NFL and how they promote their sport? Adam Silver is wondering why ratings are down and streaming and social media isn't the only reason. Now, Michael, just to quickly recap, essentially, Shaquille O'Neal had been having a conversation uh, during their halftime show saying he didn't necessarily believe that Donovan Mitchell was good enough to carry the Utah Jazz over the top to the promised land, right? And they had a direct post-game interview where Shaq is kind of serving as a remote sideline reporter from the studio. And he just kind of directly said that to Donovan Mitchell's face right after the Jazz had just won their seventh straight game. And right after, I think Donovan Mitchell had scored 36 points. And he essentially said, you know, I don't believe in you. What what do you think? And Mitchell (laughs) paused, kind of looked around awkwardly, was like, all right. And the interview was over. Not too long after that, I think Shaq was criticized for his timing, maybe for his clumsiness. Uh, I think a lot of people, you know, especially Jazz fans, raced to Donovan Mitchell's defense. And I was just curious, I mean, did you think that that scene in particular, which has taken place uh, at other times this season, whether it was Kevin Durant and some of these other guys kind of pushing back on the TNT criticism, do you think that was bad for the league, you know, these particular interviews or, or bad for TNT? And then do you agree with Andre's point that there's some sort of wider problem in how the NBA is being covered? I mean, I want to start, first of all, just by saying that I love Inside the NBA. I love Charles, Kenny, Ernie, Shaq. It's just a great show. I've been watching it since I was a little boy. Um, I mean, as it pertains to uh, Andre's question, I don't think any of this impacts viewership numbers. Like, I can't imagine someone seeing Shaq behave the way he's behaved, and then vowing never to watch NBA basketball ever again. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, But, you know, talking about what Shaq did, like, it was just very petty and strange. And, you know, I I think there is a legitimate debate to be had about, you know, inside the NBA as an entertainment product and them trying to create a controversy and be entertaining, um, in a way that is unique to 
just who those personalities are on the stage. Uh, that said, I, I don't think that necessarily an alternative to trying to get, you know, cliche or trying to prevent cliche athlete responses to questions has to be so combative. And, you know, I wish Shaq came from it from a place of like understanding that he can ask questions that journalists can't. And just because of, you know, the point of reverence, that he has held in the eyes of a lot of the players and uh, you know, the fact that he's just this iconic larger than life figure, like he could ask them anything. And instead he decides to put Donovan Mitchell down and instead he decides to like pretend he doesn't know or legitimately doesn't know who Christian Wood is. Like I just, you know, there's just an opportunity for better value there. And so it's just unfortunate, but I don't think it really impacts viewership now. Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of the thing. We do want to have thoughtful questions in those post-game interviews, right? Like Shaquille O'Neal beaming in from Atlanta to be like, Donovan, how did it feel to beat the New Orleans Pelicans in the fourth quarter? Like that, we don't need that. Nobody needs that, right? So I actually like that they're trying to be a little bit unconventional with the questions, but... I mean, just pretty much coming off and slandering a guy, you know, and that might be a little bit harsh. So, you know, maybe I'll walk that word back. But just like directly confronting him and just expecting to him to have some sort of a response to your motivational challenge. And I know that's how Shaq's kind of always viewed the world. He's talked about the importance of, uh, you know, male authority figures in his life when he was growing up, kind of, you know, pushing him to be the best version of himself. And I think now that he's in that position as a former player, he almost relishes that role with younger guys. And I think there's a lot of younger players, including Kevin Durant, who's had some back and forth with those guys in the past, who are just like, dude, I did not ask for the guidance. I don't need the guidance. Everything is going very well without you commenting uh, or influencing my life in any way. So just kind of back off. And, you know, that tension can be funny at times. But I thought in this case, it was just really weird timing and, and um, you know, out of place. And it's not all Shaq's fault. You know, they're stepping into this like remote sideline role because they can't actually have sideline reporters in these arenas because of the pandemic. I would maybe try to do something different if I was TNT to prevent that from happening, either possibly preparing a little bit better the material that they're going to ask these players or having maybe the host conduct the interview. <laughs> Just work around it because I don't think you want this to happen every single week. I do think that that could potentially you know, not be in the best look for, um, you know, the league. Now, in terms of big picture, what role does inside the NBA play in shaping public opinion? I do think that they carry a lot of influence with casual fans. And I Mm -hmm. think that it's important to remember, and this is how I view it, Charles Barkley is like a top 10 funny person in the world, period. So I look at inside the NBA rather than like this serious studio show that's going to like give you everything you need to know about the X's and O's and maybe some of the stuff that Andre is looking for. I look at it more like Charles Barkley's Variety Hour, and it's just whatever he is going to be kind of ranting about, or whatever he's going to be, uh, you know, making fun of guys for this week. We're all along for the ride, and, and Shaq might have some pranks here and there, and there could be some serious conversations um, if the time and place warrants it. But in general, it's better to take inside the NBA less seriously than more seriously, and I think you'll enjoy it more if you do that. And I do think that creates a hole for serious analysis, by the way. And maybe mm-hmm. some of these other shows aren't filling it as well as Andre would. But I would also note there's a lot of casual fans out there who are watching this as entertainment. They're wanting to laugh. They're wanting to learn a little bit. And it's it's tricky to balance all of those things from the studio side. And, and by the way, Michael, it's tricky for us to do that too, right? Um, we're obviously not on Charles Barkley's level as comedians. Uh, but if you just come come on the podcast and you're talking X's and O's for an hour and a half straight, there's going to be some people who love that. And there's going to be some people who are saying, guys, like lighten up. You know, this is this is supposed to be fun. Yeah, no, I agree with uh, pretty much everything that you said. Going back to like maybe Shaq and Chuck and Kenny, maybe they can prepare a little bit better. You know, uh, knowing who Christian Wood is would probably be a good start in preparation when you are calling or uh, analyzing a Houston Rockets game. That might be just a good idea. I'm just going to throw that out yeah, there. That's he, something that maybe they should do. He's not quite a who he play for guy anymore, right? <laughs> no. Well, and here's the thing, though. Their expertise, in my opinion, the TNT guys' expertise, is crafting and furthering storylines about the very biggest stars, right? And it's natural because Charles is a massive star himself currently and was a massive star as a player. And same thing for Shaq. I mean, Shaq is this gigantic four-letter brand, you know, like everybody knows exactly what 
you know, the, the name Shaq is associated with. And of course, he's won ring upon ring upon ring when he was a player as well. So that's kind of their wheelhouse. Um, and I do like that they kind of poke fun at their lack of knowledge on some of the, you know, second or third tier uh, players or maybe rising stars who are you know, a little <laughs> bit new to the game. And Mm-hmm. I would say there's a lot of casual fans out there, Michael, who still have no clue who Christian Wood is. And so I think they maybe could play a little bit more of an educational role on some of that stuff. But, um, you know, at the same time, I think some of that is tongue in cheek, too. It's like you got to earn your stripes. And that's a, that's a lot about what NBA discourse uh, is centered around, don't you think, is this idea of guys who are kind of progressing through their careers from step to step. And I think it's totally fair for them to say, look, Donovan Mitchell, right now you're a star. You're not a superstar. You have a limited track record of success in the postseason uh you are blowing away all expectations compared to where you were pre-draft so congratulations for that but if uh, you know we're gonna you know take the jazz you know seriously as title threats then you're probably gonna have to do even more than you've ever done previously mm-hmm. i think that's a, a completely fair and valid take from Shaq, and, and it very well could be uh, proven true i just want to make this point about the utah jazz at this current station and Donovan Mitchell's role within them. You know, Shaq is kind of calling on him to do more and be more of a solo star and kind of step forward. And it's almost like he's saying, hey, I want you to be more like Kobe Bryant or Dwayne Wade or some of these all-time past greats, right? And what's making the Utah Jazz tick right now is that less has been more from Donovan Mitchell, right? So he's still averaging a career high, but his numbers are very similar to last season. The Jazz are on this crazy winning streak. Their offense is top five in the league. They're shooting the third most three-pointers in the entire NBA. But this isn't a case where Donovan Mitchell is just on one of these stretches where he's scoring 50 and then 40 and then 50 and 55 night after night. It's all about kind of the unified approach and and the teamwork approach of their offense where you've got not only Donovan Mitchell, but also a Mike Conley, also a Jordan Clarkson attempting career highs for threes. And if you look on any given night, they're trying to get up like 53 pointers a game. They're actually averaging 43 point attempts uh, you know, per game all season long, shooting better than 40%. They're really dialed in on passing the basketball around the perimeter unselfishly and making sure those passes are on time and on target so that guys can shoot, catch and shoot three-pointers. This is like the definition of anti-superstar hero ball, right? This is like a completely different approach that a Shaq team never would have taken, you know, during his prime or a Kobe Bryant team would have taken during his prime. And so I think that's why it scrambled Shaq up a little bit. He's not used to seeing teams win like this. Now, is this going to be a formula for the Utah Jazz to win a title? Well, they're going to have to shoot great throughout the postseason to make up for their lack of, you know, top five player superstar level talent, right? They're going to need contributions from Bojan. They're going to need contributions from a guy like Royce O'Neal, who's shooting the ball very well. They're going to have to do it as a collective approach. The Utah Jazz are not going to out-talent the Lakers, Clippers, or Brooklyn Nets. You're not going to say, hey, Donovan Mitchell, go head-to-head against LeBron, Kawhi, or Kevin Durant. You're just going to win this series by yourself. I think that's sort of how Shaq views it. It's like this mano-a-mano duel. And that's not the the smartest way to approach this thing. If you're Utah, you're way better off trying to play uh, the David role against Goliath, right? And have as many people as possible contributing to your offensive success while maintaining a, a very strong and together defense around Rudy Gobert. And so the fact that Mitchell has been willing to buy into the team concept that he hasn't gone towards the hero ball stuff has actually paid massive dividends for the Utah Jazz. So to me, it's just kind of ironic. It's like Shaq stumbled into what makes the Utah Jazz great uh, right now with their eight-game winning streak by asking for the complete opposite, which is just amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like, at its core, first of all, we went over the Utah Jazz in our last episode, and you had that wonderful 40-40 club uh, moniker comparison label, whatever, um, that was terrific and everyone should go back and listen to that episode but i guess like for me it's just Shaq isn't really i think you're you might be getting a little too deep with this i think that Shaq is just like criticizing donovan mitchell for no reason it's, it's like i think that it's just that simple sometimes like that's just how I, i'm perceiving it like <laughs> i was trying to give just, him the benefit of the doubt michael no he it was just a weird 
thing to say after I th- they just won that game, right? Like it was yeah. <laughs> it's like no. you're not good enough. Cool. <laughs> How am I supposed to respond to that after I just won a basketball game and my team might be the best team in the NBA right now? It's just like it's just a weird thing to say to someone. Right. So I guess what I'm trying to say is look, let's let's clean up this mess. It was awkward television, but we can say, look, the story of the Jazz is not Donovan Mitchell isn't good enough or he's not doing enough or he needs to do more individually. The story of this particular Utah Jazz team is they're doing it from all spots. They've got four shooters on the court at all times. This is an organization going mm-hmm. all the way back to Jerry Sloan that like year after year would rank bottom five, sometimes even dead last, but rarely above 15th in terms of three-point attempts per game, right? This was just not part of what they did. And you go back to when they hired Quinn Snyder, that started to change. When they drafted Donovan Mitchell, that really started to change. And now they've constructed this team that's like so modern, they're jacking more threes at a higher efficiency than just about anyone in league history. And so it's like the dinosaur just modernized right in front of our eyes in these last couple of years. They were late to the three-point revolution, but now the Jazz are here and they are partying and they are having a great time with it and everyone's getting up shots. And this is a team that lost to Steph Curry's Warriors in the playoffs, that lost to James Harden's Rockets in the playoffs, and they were getting sniped from outside and they were they didn't have enough shooting to keep up in those series, right? And now they're in a situation where it's just a different team. And Donovan Mitchell's willingness to keep the basketball moving so that he's not dominating. He's not going one-on-one all the time. He's picking his spots, maintaining high efficiency without you know, disrupting the flow of their offense is why they're having this level of success. And so if you're looking around the West right now in terms of which of these teams actually have the potential to knock off the, the superstar-driven powers, I don't want to quit the Denver Nuggets because Jokic has just been so much fun to watch night after night. He's just an unbelievable talent, and he should be viewed as one of those elite superstar-level talents in those particular matchups. Like, if you had to win a playoff series right now and you gave me the choice of Jokic or Kawhi, I'm taking Jokic. And I don't know if that's a a controversial (laughs) take. He has been ridiculous, Michael. Kawhi is actually playing pretty well, too. So I'm going to keep Denver. I'm going to keep Denver in that conversation. But I think Utah needs to be in this conversation, too. They just do it differently. It's this collective activity. It's almost like, you know, the 04 Pistons or the 14 Spurs, a team that doesn't have like a major superstar level score, but they've got a rock solid defense. They've got an unselfish offense. And that can be, you know, in certain circumstances, uh, a path to a title. A lot would have to break their way. I'm not picking them necessarily to upset either one of those LA teams in the playoffs, but it's a mm-hmm. it's a nice it's a nice formula with an all veteran team. And I think even Steve Kerr said over the weekend, look, these guys want to win a title and I think they're capable. And that's high praise coming from a guy who's won a bunch. You know who I feel bad for in all of this is Shaquille Harrison, the Utah Jazz guard. I'm sure that Donovan Mitchell has just been punishing him relentlessly in practice because of this. And so I, I prayers up to Shaquille Harrison. I hope that he's recovered fine from Shaquille O'Neal's discretions. So he's going to come out and announce a name change. Just be like, look, <laughs> on, on principled grounds, I, I can't hold this up. Um, all right. I think, um, I think we covered that topic. Thanks for the email, Andre, on that one. I would say... In general, I would like more, um, uh, you know, analysis from those studio shows when possible. I think there are some shows that find ways to mix it in, and and inside the NBA tries to as well. I, I don't uh, undersell uh, what Kenny Smith is doing on that show. He does do some breakdowns every once in a while, and I think those are effective. Uh, but it's just about the mix of they're trying to entertain. I think even more than they're trying to educate and. Once you accept that with that show and realize that they're building the whole thing around their supernova star in Charles Barkley, it's a lot easier to kind of um, understand their Mm -hmm. role with society. And I would say that the people who I really want to step up from the analytical side, Michael, is the color commentators on the national broadcast. Like, I love when Doris digs into that stuff, Doris Burke. I love when Jeff Van Gundy digs into that stuff. And when they go into other territories, when they get too caught up into narratives, when they're ignoring the game action, that part actually does bother me a little bit more, even than the studio shows. What do you think? I, no, I, I mean, I 100% agree. I'm a, I, like, I'm a nerd for this stuff. So, like, I love... I love the, the X's and O's analysis uh, from smarter people than I when it comes to what's actually happening on the court and my ears perk up and my eyes open when 
that happens. But I also do appreciate like what Charles Barkley brings to the table on Inside the NBA, like that narrative construction that you were referring to earlier. Like that has value. That is entertaining. That is also why we love the NBA. So I, I you know, there's a balance there. And just don't like needlessly make fun of players and attack them in postgame interviews. And I think we'll be OK. Very well said, Michael. All right, we got a long email here from Zurich, Michael. I don't know, but uh, what I was expecting from a, an emailer from Zurich, I think this comes in from Niles, but he had a rant to get off his chest. I mean, he just went <laughs> in on Giannis. He says, I'm getting so frustrated with Giannis and the Bucks." And he wrote this during the Lakers versus Bucks game from last week, the head-to-head showdown between LeBron and Giannis, which the Lakers won pretty handily. He continues, Giannis is just so one-dimensional on offense. He only knows straight line drives and banging his head against the wall. He is used to getting his way against weaker opponents in regular season games, but if it doesn't work, he will only bang harder against the wall, and he has zero reliable counters. He produces a lot of careless turnovers and gets into foul trouble. His jumper looks horrific. This is obvious to anyone. His handle costs him too many turnovers, and his passing is very often not enough on point, so his teammates can't really take advantage of the space he creates. And it looks to me that on a mental level, he is sometimes just too slow to adapt when his go-to moves are taken away. He needs to make faster decisions and execute them more accurately. You can see that he is thinking, I will shoot even before he unloads. On top of that, his free throws are very bad. Meanwhile, Chris Middleton is shooting great. He passes the ball really well and continues to grow in a lot of areas of his game. And Drew Holiday is great around the rim, makes very few mistakes, provides some playmaking, and has a solid and decent shot and plays defense as advertised. So where is the growth from Giannis? This leads me to my take, the emailer says. You can win the championship with Middleton and Holiday as your second and third best players, but you can't win a championship with Giannis as your best player. Ben, you're the CEO of Giannis Inc. It's time for an intervention. Giannis needs to learn some post moves, get his free throws right, and improve his passes and handle more more consistently so he can truly make the role players around him better in games that count. Michael, I mean, that is a thorough deconstruction of Giannis's game. I've got to admit, uh, there's a lot of truth to what he's spitting. What did you make of all these takes, and especially the one about you can't win a title with Giannis as your best player? Are you writing off Giannis's ring glory forever? <laughs> no, I, I am not. Um, but I will say that Niles's email it, it is basically like a column that I want to write. So good job, Niles. This was great. Um, yeah, I'm so going there's to... a button on your keyboard. It's a control. <laughs> and if you hold the control button down and tap C, you can actually select the text and then hit control and V and you can just publish it just that easy. Yeah. So I'll, I'll try to give you credit, Niles, when I write my column. But um, look, like I'll start by saying that Milwaukee not only has the best offense in the NBA, but they're a full two points per 100 possessions above the greatest offense of all time, which was the Dallas Mavericks from a year ago. They are a lot better on offense with Giannis on the floor. Uh, That's just a kind of like a prerequisite I feel like we need to get out of the way because I I fundamentally agree with Niles' email. Um, As the NBA.com's John Schumann pointed out in his latest power rankings, Milwaukee has zero wins against the 13 NBA teams that are above 500 right now, which is, that's not good. Um, And, like, when I look at Giannis, we've talked about this a million times since since I started on this podcast with you. Just, like, he has no mid-range game. He's limited from the perimeter. There's no plan B when plan A goes awry. I, you know, Milwaukee is starting to use him a little bit more as a role man, which is good. He can be really effective. He can be really effective as an off-ball cutter when Drew Holiday has the ball in his hands and Chris Middleton has the ball in his hands. Um, like, fundamentally, though, when you're in the playoffs and you are the back-to-back MVP, uh, like, your inability to generate independent offense is just, like, really problematic and so the number one part of his game that there's two things that really bother me number one is that he has not developed a really effective post game that he goes to religiously because he would be unstoppable in the block like that's just a fact number two is that instead of developing the post game he takes these walk up three pointers like three or four of them a game and 
it's just like the most pointless shot in basketball right now. I'm sorry. Like you're not punishing a defense that is perfectly fine to lay in the paint and give you that shot. You're not. It's not gravity. You're not creating opportunities for teammates. Um, when that shot goes in like 30% of the time or even below that, like it's just it's not a good shot. Like you have to couch that. You have to make adjustments and uh, attack the defense in different ways than just giving in that, giving them exactly what they want, which is that shot. So that's like my biggest frustration with Giannis. I think more generally, like he's very good and <laughs> uh, I'm not that concerned with the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Um, so first of all, I think that if we could all be so lucky to have all these flaws to our offensive game and then still backdoor our way into the greatest offense of all time, I mean, <laughs> it, it would be really, really nice. And I do think that's really important context. I'm glad you added that right off the top. I, I want to underscore that. Look, it's it's not a full-blown disaster like it sometimes looks, but there is absolutely a gap between how well Milwaukee performs against the average regular season team, which I think is one of the emailers' point, and how they perform against elite defenses that are actually capable of neutralizing Giannis. Everything changes, right? And there's only a few teams out there that can actually handle him, but when they do, um, they handle him in ways that really frustrate him and lots of you know bad things, whether it's turnovers or poor decisions or all those kinds of things, um, you know, do come out. My biggest concern about the Milwaukee Bucks right now is not Giannis. It's not their offense. It's their defense and it's their depth. I don't think that they have enough personnel right now to match up with a team like uh, Brooklyn, uh, position by position, star by star, a team like the Lakers or a team like the Clippers. I view their top three guys as being championship quality players. I, I definitely think you could still win a, a title with Giannis as your number one guy. Might not happen this year. I'm willing to grant that, but he is that level of a talent. I'm not going to write him off there. And I think Middleton, unbelievable number two guy, one of the very best number two guys in the entire league. And Holiday is an ideal fit. And I can't stress this enough. It's so much more enjoyable watching these Bucks games with Holiday there rather than Bledsoe. You can actually watch with your eyes open. It's so great, <laughs> especially in, in crunch time. But uh, past that, it's a lot of questions. It's a lot of holes. It's a lot of guys who require mm -hmm. compromises. You know, if you play Lopez, now you're playing massive and you're going to struggle against, you know, more versatile lineups. If you don't, you're playing just a huge drop off. You know, you know they're, they're Giannis at center lineups. Don't really have five guys that I can trust. I don't like their mm -hmm. backcourt depth. I don't think it's complimentary enough, especially on the defensive end. And so I think that their record right now, which is not nearly as good as it was kind of during their last two juggernaut seasons, reflects that they're not as good as they were because they had better cohesion uh, last year and the year before. And I think they had a better balance as well. And I do think there is something, though, to Giannis and the mental side of things. You know, I noticed a change in the bubble when he was really dealing with a lot of the expectations for the first time that he didn't particularly handle that well. Um, there was uh, an ejection for the headbutt. There were uh, other key breakdowns and moments fouling Jimmy Butler You know, late in that game two of that series uh, and basically costing them the game and, and swinging the momentum. When he was facing pressure in games, he would revert to just running straight into the wall like the emailer described and, and not really mm -hmm. having those adjustments necessary. And I think it's gotten into his head a little bit. You look at the shooting stuff, it's noticeably worse, especially the free throws. Um, you know, there's too many nights where he's going like two for 10, right? Or one for eight. And, and that wasn't necessarily taking place a couple of years ago. I don't know if he can work his way back out of it. I do think it's this classic situation where you've got a guy who's a perfectionist, who's struggling to uh, uh, you know achieve things that he believes probably should be really easy for him because he's mastered so many other aspects of the game and he just can't handle the free throw stuff. But it's in his head, and if it remains in his head, it's going to be very difficult for them to have a lot of postseason success because... Uh, you know, it opens up the ability to just kind of hack him and take away his easy stuff around the basket and force him to do it from the free throw line. So to me, that's a, a major concern from Giannis's standpoint. And it's a little bit of a troubling development. And you just never know when those things are going to come along in Guy's career. He's he's far from the only person to have that as an issue. But to me, it's it's really dogging him right now. Yeah, I you know, the statement that you made about how the Bucks are not as good this year as they were last year like I think that that's fine right now like for them to take a step back in the regular season so that they can take two steps forward in the playoffs is exactly why they 
retooled a lot of the pieces around Giannis. They still have shooting. I think defense is a legitimate concern. You know, I they think they're down to like 12th, somewhere out of the top 10 right now after being one of the best defenses in basketball, if not the best defense for the past two seasons. But like... I I'm I think I'm okay with how they match up against some of the better teams. I think Chris Middleton's a really good, underrated, solid defender, particularly on the ball. I want to see more out of Giannis, honestly, even though he won Defensive Player of the Year last year. And I talked about this coming off of the Nets game where he's guarding Jeff Green, and it's like, what are you doing? Um, but Drew Holiday, obviously his resume speaks for itself. He's one of the best defenders at his position. He can guard up and down any opposing roster. So well, I'm, I'm actually a little bit more confident um, in the defense than you might be. Well, let me put it to you this way. like, Let's say it's Milwaukee versus the Clippers in the finals, right? And we've talked about the Clippers like interchangeable lineup where they can practically play five wings you know if you go with Batum and Marcus Morris and the stars and you maybe you plug in one guard and you have this like super switchable interchangeable lineup that can kind of yeah uh you know apply length and physicality and athleticism at all five positions what does Milwaukee do in that situation right I mean that probably makes Brooke Lopez very difficult to keep on the court and I'm granting that they've got three championship quality players, right? But now when you're trying to say, hey, we want to match up with a Bobby Portis, or we have to throw a Tory Craig out there who's barely played any time this year, or we have to go small and just hope that Dante DiVincenzo can hang in those particular matchups, or God forbid you're going to put DJ Augustin in, in a situation like that. It gets pretty real for them pretty quick. To me, they're missing one more either backcourt, you know, multi-positional defender or a wing that can handle multiple spots too. Because if you contrast that with the Lakers, like the Lakers can go to lineups with, you know, AD, LeBron, Contavious Caldwell, Pope, Caruso, and they can get super interchangeable with those groups too. I just don't know if the, the, the Bucks can shift that kind of a look. Yeah, I don't know if you watched last night's game against the Atlanta Hawks, but uh, Bud did something really interesting. You know, the game was basically out of hand with three minutes to go, and he subs Giannis back in. And I think he did it because I don't know if someone asked him after the game about this or not, but I think he did it because he wanted to see a lineup that basically you just described, where it's Drew, Chris Middleton, Bobby Portis, Giannis, and Tory Craig. And that's the type of lineup that they don't really play a ton of throughout the course of a normal game. It's not really in their rotation. But during the playoffs, when you go up against the Clippers or the Lakers or any other team that is able to just kind of take a point guard off the floor and still be threatening um, on both ends, then like that is the type of lineup that Milwaukee needs to lean on. And that might be their closing lineup, for all we know, in a big playoff game. So I thought that that was really interesting for him to just kind of get those guys on the court together and see what they can do. I don't think it's perfect, but I think that they have the right idea trying to just kind of fit those pieces together so early in the regular season. I think it's the right idea. Um, I don't think Bobby Portis is the right guy, and I don't think Torrey Craig is the right guy, right? Um, maybe you could get yep. by with one of those two, but that's kind of what I mean. I mean, stuff gets really, really real for them after those top three guys, and hopefully they can make some additions you know, at the trade deadline to try to like plug some of these holes. If I were them, I would absolutely still be buyers. I know I'm being a little bit pessimistic compared to usual uh, on, on the Milwaukee Bucks, but if I were them you're kind of committed at this point, right? Like you're going to have to pay Drew. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you just you just paid Giannis $250 million. You kind of owe it to Bud. If this is a make or break season for Coach Bud in the playoffs, you owe it to him to kind of find one more piece that you can plug into that group. And uh, I just don't think uh, you, you really want to be closing playoff games or closing finals games with both Bobby Portis and Torrey Craig. I mean, that makes me half nauseous, Michael. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/theshy to get a fifty percent discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July fourteenth. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Speaking of possibly making moves, I put out the call last week, Michael, for Kyrie Irving fake trades. Can I tell you, I spent all weekend sifting through the Open Floor Globe. They emailed us, Michael, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. There are an awful lot of people out there who are eager to move Kyrie Irving off of the Brooklyn Nets. I'm going to start with Joel first. He says, I'm watching this Nets game, and all I can keep thinking about is I wish Kyrie wasn't on this team. I have never enjoyed watching James Harden in Houston, but I can acknowledge his skill. And on this Brooklyn team already, I've enjoyed him so much more. But try to fit Kyrie into this? Ugh. So far, Joe Harris is getting wide open looks and knocking them down. Harden isn't dribbling 15 times and throwing up a shot with one second left on the shot clock. This is actually fun to watch. Ben, the Nets need to trade Kyrie, and I'd say they need to collect a shooter or multiple shooters who don't need to dominate the ball, and I'd also prefer they go after draft assets as well because they've given all of theirs away. I'm sure they wish they had a healthy Spencer Dinwiddie because he could be the point guard when Harden is off the floor. Would it, that would also make it a lot easier to trade Kyrie. If they do go for a trade, what kind of assets should they go after? And if they don't, how exactly should the Nets organize around the big three in an ideal world? So just to, to answer that last one briefly, they need to de-emphasize Kyrie. He's doing a little bit too much. They need to re-emphasize Kevin Durant. And I think James Harden in this like pass-first playmaker role that he's tried to settle into is actually working out okay for them, right? I think his scoring number is going to be coming down in Brooklyn. It seems like that's the the compromise of those uh, three guys. He's willing to sacrifice some of his scoring to play more of a facilitation role, and I think that's going to work out okay for them. But it's just been too much Kyrie Irving one-on-one. The biggest adjustment he needs to make is, is fitting better into the flow of the offense and making quicker decisions when he attacks rather than pounding the ball on the weak side and allowing the defense to kind of come back and rotate. He also needs to be more unselfish late in games, but we have uh, you know drilled that point to death here over the last couple of weeks. Michael, if Brooklyn goes for a Kyrie Irving trade before the deadline, uh, you, you heard from Joel what he wanted in a Kyrie deal. What would you like in a Kyrie deal? Hmm. I mean, I know what I don't need, which is like a a heavy ball handler who can create his own shot, who is a minus, a real hardcore minus on the defensive end. And so far, that is exactly what Kyrie has been. Now, he won them a game uh, recently against the Miami Heat where he just kind of took over at the end and was brilliant. And so, like, a lot of what we're saying, or at least what I'm saying, I don't want to make it seem like I'm diminishing how good Kyrie can be. He's, he's like, one of the most scintillating offensive players of our lifetime. Um, but just, like, the fit here, what they desperately need is... They need rim protection. They need uh, pick-and-roll versatility on the defensive end. They need rebounding. Uh, They need more perimeter defenders. They need um, just anything you can think of that would help out their defense is is precisely what is necessary. I think that 
playing Bruce Brown, even like in those minutes with Harden and KD, like he's just, you just see the fit there. Now, obviously in the playoffs, like Bruce Brown will have to make wide open threes and Kyrie Irving can do that with one arm tied behind his back for sure. But I just think that like in terms of fit, what I'm looking for, and we talked about this on a previous episode, but just like, you know, a, a wing who can shoot threes, a three and D caliber player, maybe someone who can run a pick and roll in a pinch, someone who can guard up and down from his normal position, um, length. Like that's just what um, I would be looking for if I were Brooklyn because they really need help on the defensive end. That's that's clear as day. For sure. And it's really interesting when you're trying to look at that type of player. That player can be very, very, very valuable, like in a Chris Middleton role. Like if you're Milwaukee, we had a one emailer say, well, what about a Chris Middleton for Kyrie trade? I think if you're Milwaukee, you say heck no to that, right? Be- because <laughs> just the, the playoff value of having a Middleton when you've got to match up with Kevin Durant, right? Or you got to yeah. match up with LeBron or Paul George or uh, Kawhi Leonard or any of those guys, you just absolutely have to keep that player, right? But there are other 3 and D wings out there or, or you know, maybe guys who – uh, are less advanced offensively than a Middleton who could be had. So here's one idea from Eric that I thought was interesting. What about Kyrie Irving to Toronto for OG Ananobi, Kyle Lowry, and then whatever other minor assets you've got to make it work? So obviously OG just re-signed the extension, so, but he's a classic 3 and D wing, handling multiple positions like you just mentioned. Kyle Lowry is, you know, at this point – on an expiring deal. So he potentially is going to be moving on uh, next summer. So that could influence whether Toronto is willing to trade him. And I think from Toronto's standpoint, they get kind of a franchise level guard uh, who can, you know, is a little bit closer in age to a Pascal Siakam. In Brooklyn's case, they, they plug their biggest hole on the wing and they get a ball handler back short term in Kyle Lowry. And then, you know, maybe he has to move on uh, next season. What do you think? I mean, our listeners and, the great city of Toronto have, I, I hope that they're all still breathing. I hope their hearts are still beating. I hope that they're, they haven't just destroyed their headphones. Michael, you're their cars so, off the road. You're so or... down on Kyrie. <laughs> I mean, you'll get... I don't think, I don't think that the Toronto Raptors in all seriousness, I do not think they would trade OG for Kyrie straight up. I, I really don't think so. So for you to throw in the great, greatest player in your franchise's history, a beloved uh, beloved figure to your fan base, plus other stuff, um, that's just not going to happen. If you are the uh, Brooklyn Nets, man, like the, uh, the, the, Michael, the speed take- and swiftness with which you would get this deal done is it would blow your toupee off all right so take a step back i'm a little i'm a little nervous (laughs) that you might be too deep into the blog boy territory i mean kyrie irving is still like a perennial all-star he's a face for your franchise you know he's a incredible scorer especially if Uh you don't have other late game scores which toronto doesn't at this point right Mm -hmm. um he's going to help you there he's going to win you back some fans he's potentially going to help you lure another superstar and put together a team up option. I mean, obviously that worked for Brooklyn with Kevin Durant. I mean, this guy, OG Anunoby, I like him a lot. I understand it's very popular to like OG Anunoby on the internet, but don't you think you might be getting a little bit too far down the take well, if you're saying, okay, given the choice, people are going to take OG? No, no, I don't. I think I'm, I'm, I'm level-headed with my analysis here. I think that like, is it, is it the if personality he, stuff that scares you off? Is it the health stuff? It can't be basketball stuff. Well, look, like that, no, like that is that's an obvious factor that you have to to weigh here for sure. Like, is he going to show up to Toronto or or Tampa or wherever? Is he going to um, threaten to have surgery on a body part so that he doesn't have to play? I mean, these are actual things. Like, I, this is why I don't know what. Kyrie Irving's trade value is like I, I, I I'm sure that any team around the league that's trying to concoct an offer like has no clue what it would take to get him well and no clue what they would be willing to forfeit to 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 bring him in because it is a humongous risk well good news Michael that's why we're doing this exercise we are about to pinpoint <laughs> Kyrie Irving's trade value so it's not OG and Anobi Eric's got another idea for you are you ready <laughs> yes I'm ready Kyrie Irving to the Knicks for Mitchell Robinson, Alec Burks, Dennis Smith Jr. 
So in this situation, I mean, Alec Burks is just a guy, right? Plug-in guy, whatever. Dennis uh-huh. Smith Jr., you know, I've been out on him basically since New York acquired him. And actually before that, frankly. Um, and then obviously the the real piece that you'd get be getting here is Mitchell Robinson. He is kind of your replacement for losing Jared Allen in the trade that, yeah. that landed you James Harden. He is shoring up your backline defense to a meaningful degree. Uh, he has been, you know, I think a guy that a lot of Knicks fans are excited about early on in this season because he showed he could play more minutes than he, he did in past seasons. And obviously he's blocking an awful lot of shots with his athleticism. Maybe not the most disciplined player, but certainly kind of productive defensively. So is Kyrie Irving worth Mitchell Robinson? Who says no on this deal? Okay, so this is this is really fascinating. Um, I think for Brooklyn, Mitchell Robinson is exactly what you need. Um, maybe, like, I don't know actually, like, how much I would trust Mitchell Robinson in the fourth quarter of a, a finals game <laughs> necessarily, which is kind of what you have to think about if you're Sean Marks and you're trying to to make a trade like this. Um, but just like on paper, yeah, he fills a lot of holes for for kind of the issues that Brooklyn has right now. Um, like I have no idea. Like if you are uh, the Knicks here, like I think all of those same concerns bubble to the surface. Where like who knows what we're getting here? And that, I mean, this organization has like legitimate momentum going in their favor for the first time in I guess since like what Jeremy Lin like that's uh, so uh, like I wouldn't really necessarily want to want to shake things up too much and try to get a star in who will be disgruntled immediately um so yeah the Knicks on the I just don't see the Knicks doing this honestly and that's that's just a wild thing to say it it is because of course Kyrie is a better basketball player than Mitchell Robinson of course like Alec Burks is that even a rotation player in the finals I don't know maybe God I hope um, not <laughs> Yeah right <laughs> So it it is a crazy thing to say but um I don't know I don't like I don't think the Knicks would do this trade do you Michael, you wouldn't trade Kyrie Irving for some pocket lint right now. I mean, this is crazy. Uh, I think the Knicks do this trade. The Knicks want stars. The Knicks have had a hard time finding stars. They, um, you know, they're a cute story right now. They're playing hard. I think people are excited about it. It's the first time they've had hope in a while, but we know how they think. There's a lot of shortcuts and short-term thinking from that ownership group, always has been. And, um, you know, eventually you're going to need to sell some tickets. And I do think Kyrie as a Nick would sell some tickets, don't you think? I mean, this is the time where just don't cut corners, New York. Like, just don't do it. Let RJ, RJ Barrett actually looks like a very good player. Quickly looks like a real player. Like, just relax. Calm down. It's okay. You're not going to win the championship throughout Kyrie Irving's uh, uh, the rest of his contract anyway if you bring him in. Michael, and you might not even make the playoffs. You're, so like, I, I, You're not going to make the playoffs with the big three of Rowan, RJ, uh, Julius, and Kyrie? <laughs> that could make the playoffs, Michael. No, it, it could make the playoffs, sure. You'd get destroyed in the first round. I just, like, and, and I'm not even saying like that they're giving up so much in Mitchell Robinson, who, I mean, that might be your center of the future for the next 10 years. I don't know. But I, 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 I don't know. I just think that trading Kyrie is such a difficult exercise. But well, as you said, that's why we're here. We're here. We're slogging through with another awesome <laughs> idea. This one came in from Abraham in Alabama. Michael, we don't get a ton of emails from Alabama, so shout out to Bama. Roll Tide Roll. Um, Abraham says, this is a win-win proposal for both teams. And it's almost impossible to find that when you're talking about Kyrie. He says, Brooklyn will trade Kyrie Irving to Orlando for Mo Bamba, Evan Fournier, and a second round pick or whatever else you got to throw in there to make it work. So a similar idea, Mo Bamba, I would say, is a less desired prospect or uh, target than Mitchell Robinson because of some health concerns he's had uh, over the last few years and just a less proven player. But you're getting Mo Bamba to plug into the Jared Allen role. You've got a wing in Fournier who doesn't necessarily need to dominate the ball, but can be a shooter and revolve around you know your stars with James Harden and Kevin Durant. For Orlando, they get a point guard for the first time in 15 years. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to count Markel Fultz. Uh, and you know potentially you could have a backcourt of Fultz and Kyrie Irving that's very dynamic once Fultz is back uh, you know healthy. Orlando would have its first real star since Dwight Howard 
What do you think? Mm-hmm. Who says no? This is really interesting just because I've been thinking a lot about the Orlando Magic for a story I've been working on for a while. Um, I don't, like, if you're Brooklyn, I just don't think necessarily that Mo Bamba is that intriguing of an asset for you. Like, it would be way more interesting if Jonathan Isaac never got hurt and he was on the table. That's the type of player that I think would be way more interesting for them. And, and that's actually one where I will go full blog, where I will get my Michael Pina on and I will say, Jonathan Isaac, untouchable in a Kyrie Irving trade. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. But so, like, if you're Orlando, though, on the other side of this, is okay you know we've been a little stale recently i think it's fair to say despite keeping our roster together for as long as we have and you know how do we take the next step forward beyond jonathan isaac getting healthy and becoming an all-star perennial all-star caliber two-way player like how do we get a player like kyrie irving in the door or brad beal in the door or whoever other star becomes available and so like I think it would take ultimately take a lot more to actually get someone someone like Kyrie into your organization, which kind of defeats the purpose of making a trade in the first place because you will be gutted in your roster will be gutted and you won't be good enough to be competitive and then someone like Kyrie will leave in free agency. So it's just this really difficult cyclical process um, for a team like the Orlando Magic. So I, I mean I can't really see them doing this. I mean, I guess they would do this exact trade if it was actually real because they're not really giving up too much. Um, But I don't think this is a realistic thing from the perspective of where Brooklyn is coming from. Yeah, I think they're probably going to have to get more. Uh, I don't know if you could trust Mo Bamba for sure. I think you're right on. Not only is he going to just be healthy and out there, but is he going to hold up to different playoff matchups? Is he operating at a high uh, enough defensive IQ level to make you feel comfortable are you just defaulting to DeAndre Jordan because you don't trust him? And then what's the point of that trade, right? So I think Brooklyn probably says no there. It's really interesting from Orlando's standpoint, though, because once you're trading from Kyrie, then you have to do almost that Toronto style. We're going to recruit him and hope that he wants to stay here, right? And that worked in the Kawhi Leonard situation because it was like they had amazing success, won a title, and he's still left. And in Orlando, um, you know, you're probably making the playoffs if you trade for Kyrie, but he's going to have his choice when he becomes a free agent. And it's, you know, there's a massive flight risk that you have to consider there too. So I think if you're the Magic, that's going to scare you off here. But it did not scare off Lucas, uh, Michael. He wants to trade Kyrie (laughs) to the Orlando Magic for Aaron Gordon and Terrence Ross. And this is the kind of trade where my mind was going to first. And I think in part because Mm. you want to trade Aaron Gordon every single day for the last six years of your life. I know you. So it's great that we can throw in an Aaron Gordon option just for you to mull. But I also think you you get some of that positional versatility and you add a little bit of a punch to your bench with Terrence Ross as well. Um, you know, I, I could see both of those guys having moments in the playoffs and I could see Aaron Gordon, um, you know, thriving with uh, Brooklyn Stars and, and being asked to do a lot less and, and fitting into a more manageable role. What do you think about that deal? Who says no there? So, yeah, this one is really, really interesting. Um, Might be my favorite, honestly, because you mentioned the staleness factor. That's absolutely been an issue for Aaron Gordon. But I think also with Terrence Ross, don't you think both these players are pretty expendable for Orlando's side? And now it's like you're almost getting a flyer on Kyrie. You know, I don't think Aaron Gordon has an extraordinary trade value. Um, Otherwise, he probably would have been moved by this point. So is it worth it? Hey, what the heck? Let's see what happens. Potentially. I mean, sometimes like organizations that make a move just to make a move come to regret it. I don't know if either side would feel that way in this case. I think if you're Brooklyn, like if this trade actually happened, Aaron Gordon and Terrence Ross for Kyrie Irving, I think that like even though it makes sense on paper for the Brooklyn Nets, their front office would never make a move like this because it would quote unquote look bad. It would look like they quote unquote <laughs> lost the trade. Michael, they would like, get destroyed by the press. Yes. Been. Yeah. So like, and that is actually a factor here. It just is in reality. So even though it would maybe upgrade, um, you know, fill in some holes for them for sure, especially Aaron Gordon, who is, I mean, he would do wonders for their defense, I would think. Um, and really slide into a role I think that he can excel at offensively. Like, I just don't think that Brooklyn would actually go through <laughs> the trade like this because, as you said, they would just get 
killed in the press. Yeah, they would not only have to sell it to the public, which would be difficult, but they would also have to sell it to the stars, right? And so that's also another tricky element here is you've got to convince KD to, you know, hey, we're going to break you up from the guy that you chose to team up with in 2019 and we're not getting kind of a certified level star back. That could make it trickier. That could be a tougher sell. And there could be certain situations where maybe you know, you're getting multiple players. And so he's seeing that the lineup could be balanced. I mean, maybe you would be able to sell it to him on a basketball sense, but personality wise, that's tricky as well. And that's maybe the best argument for why Kyrie Irving won't be traded is because Sean Marks not only has to sell the trade to the public, but he also has to sell a trade to Kevin Durant. Um, And, you know, having Kyrie Irving disappear after 20 games uh, into their first season together and, and be shipped somewhere else probably wasn't part of the overall like Kevin Durant 35 ventures New York City takeover master plan that they were concocting back in 2019 all right a um, couple other ones here you know Lucas wants to know what about Kyrie to Indiana for Miles Turner Jeremy Lamb and Aaron Holiday I mean Miles Turner would be just an ideal target for Brooklyn but I think mm. the Pacers say no don't you think yeah, I do. Um, we know that they potentially tried to shop Miles Turner in the offseason to, to try to get Gordon Hayward. So, you know, they're not like tied to him, but he's been having a really good season. I was and... going to say, do you remember when I went full shack on Miles Turner and I was like, look, bro, if you don't want to be <laughs> traded, you have to do better than averaging like 10 and 5. And now he's come back. He's averaging like, what, four-something blocks per game. He's been all over the place. They've been off to a really strong start. He's been um, you know, right in the mix. And on top of that, he's playing through injury right now. So I think uh, Miles Turner's trade value is is on the up and up. Yeah, it's like they shouldn't trade him because <laughs> they're a really good team. And the way he's kind of molded his own game to fit besides Sabonis just – it, it all is just working really well for them. And, you know, they still have to integrate Karis LeVert at some point later on this season. That's difficult enough as it is. So to try to fit, like, I just think Kyrie would be very disruptive in, in a general sense. And I'm strictly speaking about on court um, as opposed to off court, which is also a factor here. Um, but, like, from a basketball sense, yeah, like, I, I don't think that Indiana does this. I think that Brooklyn would be very excited about Miles Turner. I, I don't I, I, I go back to the same thing with the last Orlando hypothetical though, where it's like there's just no like none of these players have ever made an all star team. So you can't trade the guy on the max contract for like I, I, for lack of a better phrase, uh, scraps. like that's just not gonna cut it. Yeah, and I think if you're the Pacers, you don't want Kyrie ball stopping right now. You've got kind of a beautiful thing working with Sabonis and and Brogdon. Brogdon. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think it just – the offensive balance would shift noticeably. Their style would shift noticeably, and I, I just think that that one would be kind of a weird fit. They just probably wouldn't be as interested in, as the average team. And I think they would also be especially concerned about flight risk because it's Indiana and – they had trouble keeping Victor Oladipo happy in Indiana, and he had ties to the area, and Kyrie, um, no noticeable ties to Indiana that I'm aware of. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. All right, um, a couple other ideas here. I mean, I think Scott might be uh, tongue-in-cheek, but he says, what about Kyrie Irving for Russell Westbrook? Who says no? Brooklyn gets the whole Oklahoma City band back together, and presumably James Harden and Kevin Durant can curb Russell Westbrook's worst tendencies. Washington gets to pull the plug on a failing experiment with Westbrook. Um, and who cares? I mean, if Kyrie Irving uh, stays away from the team, well, it was a lost season al- already, and they can just tank. What do you think, Michael? What do you think? Kyrie Irving for Russell Westbrook. You've been really questioning Kyrie's trade value. Are you going to say it slipped all the way to Russell Westbrook levels? This question reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where George Costanza is trying to get fired. So he takes from the Yankees. So he takes the World (laughs) Series trophy and ties it to the back of his car and drives around in the parking lot. This is the this trade is the equivalent of that. If you're Sean Marks like this is the just yeah, just fire me. I'm trying to lose my job. That's I don't want to work here anymore but I don't want to resign. That is exactly what this trade is. No, the, the Nets would never in a million years make this trade. This is, no, this would not be, this would not be welcome. You were so down on Kyrie for the last 20 minutes. I thought you might give it a shot, but I'm glad to see that uh, you've still got your, uh, you've still got your calibration in order. <laughs> um, the Westbrook thing has gotten a little bit sad in Washington and they haven't really played for the last couple of weeks, but 
I understand like from a full health standpoint, he's not quite back to where he wanted to be. And I think that's impacting his play here. Um, you know, from that standpoint, Michael, I'm curious, you know, we saw Houston try to make things work for about a month with Harden before they traded him, right? If -hmm. you were Washington and you could go back and do it over, would you have tried to make it work with Wall and just, you know, eating the tough headlines and, you know, you understand he's unhappy and you know how that might impact Beal and all those other kinds of things. Would you have tried to give it a month to just see how it could work? Because Wall's played pretty well. He hasn't been out there every single night, but he's had some moments and Westbrook has not whatsoever. And maybe it's too early to judge, but... You know, you don't want to you you don't want to race away from the decision making that got you to the trade in the first place. But would you have just wanted to delay that decision to get kind of a look at both players? I mean, if I'm Washington, yeah, I would I would have held off because I had to give up a 2023 first round pick to get Westbrook, and like even though that's lottery protected, I like you know I would rather have that that pick. I'm a rebuilding organization and. Russell Westbrook isn't exactly helping uh, me convince Brad Beal to stay long term. So, you know, I guess like in hindsight, if Brad Beal went to uh, Wizards management before the, the, the season began and said, like, you have to trade John Wall, then I understand. But yeah, there should have been more patience knowing what we know now about Russell Westbrook's ability to impact winning. Let's hope that he can get his body back healthy. I think there's still a role for him there. Um, mm. They're in a situation where they need some something. But I also think that we could be looking, Michael. I mean, there could be like three or four Westbrook trades, three or four different teams all trading Westbrook on this current contract and all winning trades by trading him. <laughs> I mean, you, you look at Oklahoma City, massive winner for trading Westbrook, right? At this moment right now, we would say Houston, massive winner for trading Russell Westbrook, right? If Washington can find a way to do it, um, we would probably just automatically call them a winner just by default, uh, based on what we've seen so far this season. So, um, you know that that's that's a tough label to get uh, applied to you, but I think it could just you know continue to build around Russell Westbrook unless he can sort of turn this season around, get his body back right, and find ways to impact uh, games and and show a little bit more discretion with his shot selection. All right, last one. This one comes in from Lucas. A little bit depressing. Got to be honest. Kyrie Irving to the Chicago Bulls for Otto Porter, Ryan Archidacano, and a pick. Not sure I nailed that last name. Uh, what do you think about this deal? Uh, I, you know, um, this is by far the worst one that uh, we have covered on this episode. Hey. <laughs> and maybe the, the worst. They, I, no, I mean, they, they, it, it, you know, like it is what it is. I, I'm not trying to... Um, to disrespect Lucas, who had a really good hypothetical with the Orlando Magic earlier. I was going to say, the, the full spectrum from Lucas, from the best to the exactly. worst. But no, this is, um, you know, I don't even know what would happen if this trade went down. Uh, like, Otto Porter is coming off the bench right now for a team that probably won't make the playoffs, I would say. Um, well, let me ask you. I mean, can't you, can't you imagine a death lineup with James Harden? Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, Otto Porter, and DeAndre Jordan. I mean, come on. Squad. Sure, yeah. No, that would be incredible. Um, no, I, I, I'm going to have to thumbs down this uh, this trade. You know, usually when I – and you send me an outline before every episode and I jot down my own notes in between every question. And underneath this hypothetical trade offer, I just wrote the words, absolutely not, and then I stopped thinking about it. So that's just – that's how I feel. Lucas, I mean, there was a time when Otto Porter had a lot of value. I was an Otto Porter believer. I actually kind of liked the trade when Chicago acquired him. I thought it was a reasonable way for them to kind of help Washington offload salary and take a shot on a guy who needed a second chance and kind of a change of scenery. And I'm not sure he's ever taken that second chance or change of scenery, right? It's just kind of like he's floating through the motions, bystander to his own life. A um, little bit frustrating. Maybe there was just too much hype coming out with the, um, you know, with where he was picked. And sometimes there's just misses, but... And I mean, real quick, not to cut you off, Ben, but like there have been health issues for sure with Otto Porter that I just want to throw out there before we start, you know, trashing him mercilessly. 
For sure. Um, and I think he would be the kind of guy who would play better with stars like Brooklyn Scott compared to the players that are in, you know, leading the show and, and running the uh, the offense in Chicago <laughs> for sure. But yes. still, I mean, you, you can't justify this trade, no matter how good those picks are that you're attaching. I think uh, the ship has sailed on auto, unfortunately. And, you know, maybe what he can do, Michael, is he can learn from the Nicholas Batum blueprint, right? What do you think? Can he maybe salvage his career somewhere down the line out of nowhere, um, stepping forward as an amazing low-cost bargain basement find? It's possible. But uh, I feel like he's on that track. And uh, certainly we're not trading Kyrie for Nicholas Batum. Mm. So that's that's sort of where I, uh, where I view it. All right. Well, if you guys liked any of these trade suggestions, hated any of these trade suggestions, are sitting at your computer right now thinking, I've got better ones for these guys to mull over, we want it. We are a Kyrie Irving fake trade emporium. Send them all to us. We are buying all of your Kyrie Irving fake trades. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. All right, Michael, they can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Now, Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golver. On Twitter at Ben Golver. All right, Michael, until later this week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.